Uh, we're going to be beginning to do our part two of my sermon series about worry, fear, and anxiety. Um, and as you know, I've talked to you over the past week. I've heard from people, from telephone calls and emails. And I know it's a message that I think resonates with all of us. And, and here's the thing. You know, when we preach on this message, Jesus doesn't expect you to be supermen and superwomen. Right? He doesn't expect you to never have a worry, never have a fear, never hang, have any anxiety. Of course, that's absurd. We live in a body of flesh. We're weak. He knows we're weak. We're all going to have some worry, some fear, some anxiety. But the difference is that Jesus is telling us not to let that overwhelm us, not to let it obsess us, not to have it linger with us day after day after day so that we do not serve God, so that we cannot advance the kingdom of God. And so that's why we study the words of our Lord, and that's why he speaks with such clarity here in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to begin this study again week two uh, and drill down deeper into the words of Jesus, because I think when we focus on the words of Jesus, we have the antidote, the veritable antidote for, for that type of mental condition. Uh, and so we will focus in this section on Matthew 6, verses 25 to 30. Uh, and I believe it will be up on the board. Quote, therefore I tell you, this is Jesus, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And that's the essence of this sermon, that last four words, you of little faith. Because the rationale, the very reason why we suffer the way we do is because of our little faith. And I hope to be able to impress that image to you today and focus on it and give you ways that you can combat that. Now, we all know that in this world, all of us can become obsessed with work and anxiety and fears that affect our lives. It's just the nature of humanity. It's the nature of living in this world. And so Jesus understands this. And so he's giving us reasons today in this sermon on how to deal with it. He wants you to be able to reflect on what God does to the birds and to the flowers, and reflect on that. And as you reflect on that, understand that if God cares so much about those animals and about those natural elements, how much more does he care about you because you're a child of God? And let me emphasize this right up front. This message is for Christians. This message does not apply to people who have not accepted Christ. If you've not accepted Christ, you can't rely on these words. God is not your father if you have not accepted Christ. God is giving us this message because we've accepted Christ. We are now a child of the king. We are attached to the body of Christ. God sees us through the filtering lens of Jesus Christ. 
That's why we have these promises. And without those promises, we lead an empty existence. We cannot have a triumphant Christian life if we let these issues overwhelm us. And that's the essence of what God wants. He's called you to spread the gospel. He's called you to be his hands and feet. And you cannot be his hands and feet if you are consumed and obsessed every hour of the day about what's going to happen to you, about whether you're going to die. And let me break it to you right now. You're going to die someday. All right? I know you may not actually have reflected on that, but I can assure you, just as I can assure you you're going to pay your taxes, you're going to die someday. And so knowing that someday we have an expiration date that only God knows, do I worry every moment of the day about my expiration date? No. I walk with God. I live with God. I do what God wants me to do, and I let him care about the expiration date. That's not my responsibility. It's beyond my pay grade. And so it's important to understand this, and I want to emphasize this with our church. And so Jesus is focusing really in verses 26 and 27 on the very existence of our life. In every point, he points first to the birds. The birds don't sow. The birds don't plant, the birds don't reap, the birds don't gather, and yet what? God provides for them. He makes certain that there's enough food around that the birds live. Now, God is not the father of the bird. He is the creator of the bird. You understand? And that's the difference. He is your father. So think about how much greater God views you as his very child, how much greater it is than it is as to the bird. And, and yet we sit around worrying that God doesn't know about us, that he doesn't care about us. Uh, and, and so Jesus t- says it here in this, in this very words, how many, t- how many of you worry about how much time you have left, about how much life you have left? Instead, recognizing that God has predetermined exactly how much life you have. I'm not concerned about how long I'm going to live. I'm concerned that every moment of the day I do what he wants me to do. I'm concerned that every day I go and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when he calls me home, he calls me home. I remember when I took my dad out of the hospital about seven days before he he would pass away. And he delivered his last sermon in church from a wheelchair about four days before that. And he knew death was coming soon. Uh, And he said to me, son, I'm ready to graduate. And, you know, I said to him, dad, don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. You got a lot of more. You have a lot more things. God can use you to advance. Nope. Nope. I'm ready to graduate. And you know what? Five days later, he did. He graduated to heaven. And that's the kind of life I want all of us to live, that we look at death even as a triumph, that we've walked with Christ and now we're ready to take the next step beyond the curtain into eternity with him. And so you see here, there is a great difference, a great difference between the life of the birds uh, and comparison to man. And that's what I want you to focus on. Jesus wants you to think about this when you get down. In the case of the birds, food is provided for them. All they have to do is go and pick it up. But in the case of man, there's a process involved, and the process is called work. God expects you to work. He expects you 
to work. We don't eat unless we work. Uh, God made it very clear in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and he said it in Genesis 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. That's pretty powerful words about how God expects us to live our lives. God expects us to work. He doesn't expect us to obsess about it, all right, but to devote all of our worldly time and our minds about it, but he expects us to work. That is why the phrase indicated by Jesus here, not to take thought, take no thought, cannot possibly mean that we are to sit and do nothing. You can't read these words and believe that that's what God meant. He didn't mean that at all. He meant you do your best, you work hard, and then you leave the rest to God. Uh, And here's the other point that I want to emphasize in this message, and that is man is not about to worry about having to put something into his barns. All right? That's not the nature of what it's about. Rather, this is what, condemned, what is condemned by God. Instead, he is saying God is the one who gives the increase. Let me emphasize that. God is the one who gives the increase. And so if you work hard, even when you plow your fields and plant your crops, unless God puts the sun out, unless God causes rain to fall on those crops, you will grow nothing. And the same is true today, that as you work, if God sees it and wants to bless you, you will have an increase, and those increases will allow you to put something in the barn. But God doesn't want you to obsess about that. He'll take care of that. He'll provide that. And that's how we have to live in every possible way. And so this is a very simple statement of fact. Uh, And Jesus takes this fact, and and he draws two uh, important deductions uh, from this fact. Effectively, God is not the father of the birds, all right? Yet he feeds them. He's the creator of them, and even though he's not the father, all right, the father as he is our father, he still takes care of them and provides the food. And so if God does this for the birds who are not his children, how much more will he do it for you? How much more that he gave his son to you? How much more that he gave eternal life to you because Jesus died on the cross? And that's what we have to focus on every day, every hour of the day as we communicate with God. And one of the issues that I've learned is that some of the reason why we suffer and fear and obsession is that we don't pray enough. We don't communicate with God. We don't ask him into our hearts. We don't ask for the Holy Spirit to dwell up in us. And I have told you this, that I think you have to pray 100 times a day. Now, metaphorically, I use that number. But I mean as you walk around, as you drive your car. Even now when you're in church and you're listening to me, you should be praying to God to have this message come into your heart and resonate with you, constantly speaking to him. Literally, I speak to him minimally a hundred times a day, if not more. In every aspect of my life, walking, driving, wherever I am, I'm talking to him. I'm asking him to have mercy on me, to speak to me. And that's the kind of prayer life you need in order to combat 
fear and anxiety. And so that's the first deduction that Jesus is giving us. Things do not just happen in nature. God has to provide them. Uh, And so the moment that we begin to apply these truths to our life, as we reflect on them, and God wants you to reflect on them, the fear that we have begins to dissipate. God is your Abba Father. There is no greater expression of love than Abba. And so the second deduction that we take uh, from our Lord's words relate to the extension of our lifetime, and this is a big deal. Because what the underlying fear is, I believe, for most people, even though they don't articulate it, is they're afraid they're going to die. We have people who I love who are locked up in their homes because they're afraid of COVID. They can't leave their houses. It's as if they're under a jail sentence. Do you think God wants us to live like this? He doesn't want us to live like this. So yes, we understand. We take care. We do what we can. We go to doctors. If God puts it on our heart to be vaccinated, we get vaccinated. Whatever we can do to advance ourselves before God, we do. But at the end of the day, we don't give up and lock ourselves down. You can't serve God locked up in your house. You understand? We need to see you. You need to be here in church. You need to pray with us, affirm us as we affirm you. You need to spread the word of God. And here's how we spread the word of God. When the world sees someone who, even though they're going through troubles, is is able to function, is not surrendering to fear, that is a message that there's something different about that person. That's the message that God wants us to give. Uh, And so we can't affect our lifetime. Whatever God is giving us in terms of our days, whether it's 70, 80, 90, or some of us maybe 100 years, I pray that every single hour of those days is devoted to advancing the kingdom of God. That's what your prayer should be, Lord, in every way. Uh, And so Jesus would give us this principle. He would give us this principle. Do your work, sow, reap, gather, Put things into barns, but remember that everything is in the hands of God. Everything, whatever you have, uh, whatever blessings you have, he gave it to you. And if God doesn't allow the rain to come or the sun to shine, that no matter what you do, uh, it will not be advanced. That's the same issue with the lilies in the field. Uh, they're clothed by God. God ordains them to be, to be clothed. But they only live a short time, and then they're tossed in the fire. And if God is concerned about the beauty of that, how much more for our lives? How much more? You have an external existence far beyond this world. You're going to live forever with God, with God. And that should be the motivating factor in your life. And so Jesus, in verse 30 here, puts his finger on the core issue of worry and anxiety. Oh, ye of little faith. And I want to spend the rest of this sermon focusing on the issue of little faith. He doesn't say we have no faith. He says we have little faith. Now remember, this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples. These words are not addressed to the entire world, and that's important. uh, Because the entire world is lost in guilt and sin. They are not the children of God. This message does not apply to them. They will be filled with fear and anxiety because they have no reason not to have fear and anxiety. Their future is not taken care of. They don't walk with Christ. He is not there with them. So of course they're filled with fear and anxiety, but you are different. 
You are different. God called you to a higher call. And so he is not saying you have no faith, as he's saying to his church. He is saying you have little faith. And I want to focus today on little faith. Uh, he is speaking here as he speaks to them about their heavenly father. So Jesus is emphasizing, even to these dear people with little faith, remember God is your father. He loves you. And so he's not teaching some vague theology about the universal fatherhood of God. There is no universal fatherhood of God. Instead, there is the fatherhood of God to those who accepted Jesus Christ and make Make no mistake about that. Uh, and so only when you have accepted Christ uh, and have become attached to his body, only then are you not under the wrath of God. And only then does a message like this apply to you. And that's why I hope you can send this message to your friends that are not saved. I hope you can send this video because they need to hear this. They don't understand it. They may not even have heard it. I hate to say it, but there are probably some churches where this may not even be preached. Uh, and so we need to have this. And so we have to understand this. What is meant by insufficient faith? Uh, and much of the Christian world falls under this category. Jesus is concerned about this because if you have little faith, then you do not have all of the abundant promises of God. I'm not saying that you're not saved. Yes, you have saving faith, but it's as if you put a chair down from the moment you got saved and said, I'm saved, I'm done, I got my passport, I'm going to heaven. But you don't go any further in your Christian life. You don't communicate daily with God. You don't read your scriptures. You don't study your scriptures. Uh, and you don't pick up the cross and follow him. Effectively, where you are, and I've preached this in other messages, you are in day one. And much of the Christian world, I'll put that in quotes, is stuck in day one. Day one means I've accepted Jesus as my savior. Bingo. I'm done. I don't advance the gospel of Christ. I don't pick up my cross and walk with him. Uh, I, I don't communicate to others about Christ. I don't have a daily prayer life. I'm not studying the Bible. But I know who he is. I get to church. Yeah, that's right. You get to church. Maybe you get there on Easter. You get there on Christmas. If somebody gets married or somebody dies, you show up in church. My father had a, had a phrase for Christians like that, he called them hatch, match, and dispatch. <laughs> My father didn't fool around. He, he, he had a clear phraseology for how he viewed that. We don't want to be like that. Because when you live your life like that, you're stuck in day one. You're not advancing with God. You have not accepted all the abundant promises that he's given you, all the facts that he will pour in your life. The peace of Christ cannot possibly surround you in every way. Yes, you've got saving faith, but you've stopped there. And that's what Jesus is saying to you. Oh, you of little faith. We want to get out of that phrase. We don't want to do that. These people rob themselves, rob themselves, you see, of so much life that God would give you. God wants to give you an incredibly abundant life. He doesn't want you to be handcuffed in fear or anxiety. He doesn't want that. He wants you to walk with the light of Christ advancing in this world, 
being a poster child for what it means to be saved. Uh, and so God really is giving us this important message. The thing that we must aim at, really, is a greater first step in order to understand, really, what faith is about. It begins with salvation, but that's only the first step. It's about praying and walking and studying and reflecting and speaking about Christ in every way, applying our salvation to our daily walk in every aspect of your life, whether it's work or home, whether it's recreation or your children, whether you're in your community or golf club, wherever it is you need to advance the kingdom of God, people need to see the light of Christ permeating you in every possible way. Then they will say, what makes that woman, what makes that man different? Jesus. Jesus. That's what makes us different. Uh, and so we don't want to confine our faith. We want to expand it in every way. You see it in the life of the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith warriors. Uh, and so the point that you see in all those examples, the Bible is replete because you see in every way, and the Bible tells you about how these faith warriors, even though they went through difficult time, their faith sustain them. And that's what God promises you. This is the promise that I can give you. This week, I spoke to a man who was dying in the hospital. Uh, and I told him the same thing I'm telling you here. And he believes it. He understands that God is there, that even though his body is weakening and suffering, he understands that God is protecting him. God walks with him. God is giving him peace. That's the promise of God. He will walk with you right up to the very end when you step through the curtain of this life into the next, and then you will be there for eternity with Jesus Christ. And so there's a number of amazing promises throughout the Bible that God makes for us. Uh, and so here's the thing. You don't just have your faith when you come to church. You don't just have your faith uh, at periodic times. You don't just have your faith when you're meditating, meditating about God. Rather, it applies to the whole of your life in every aspect of your life. It means that you are no longer mastered by your circumstances, but instead now you master your circumstances because God walks with them. Uh, and so this, this is important to think this. God wants you to think about the birds. He wants you to think about the flowers. He wants you to reflect on that because part of faith is reflection and thinking and meditating and knowing. And as you do that, you meditate and you say, thank you, Father. I understand. I have a greater sense. It means that we fail to realize the full implication of salvation. That's really what it is. You don't realize the full implication. You don't realize that he bankrupted heaven in order to send Jesus to this earth, that he put his son on the cross to die an ignominious death, who then died and stayed three days in the ground so that you could come to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Now, why would God do all that if he didn't care about the measly couple of years that we were walking around in this earth? And that's what it is. It's a measly couple of years. And yet for so many of us, we've elevated these years. Oh, yes. I don't want to have pain. I don't want to have suffering. Oh, God, don't let me die. Instead, you should say, Lord, I live each day to the fullest. When you call me home, you call me home. 
If I'm to die after I walk off this pulpit, then so be it, Lord. If it's your will, that's the kind of life God wants you to have in every possible way. Look, he wants you to think about this. He wants you to reflect about it, and he wants you to pray about it. That's why you're saved, and you diminish it if you live any other way. You diminish it. Look, I want you to reflect on the words in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, because I think they're poignant. It says there, if, if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You see, that sums it up. You were an enemy of God. You were subject to the wrath of God until you recognized in fear and in mourning and in sorrow, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. I need a Savior. And at that moment, he reaches across eternity, and he saves you because you've accepted Jesus Christ. That is the engine of your life. That is the most important decision you made. And now, having made that decision, you need to reflect on all the things that it does. We have to reflect and understand we are his children. He will take care of us to the end. To put this issue another way, we believe God. You see, we believe God, but we're slow to believe the words that he is what he says he is. Oh, yes, God, I know you saved me, but I I have a hard time understanding all those things that you say about me? Are you really going to be there with me as I'm dying? Are you going to be with me as I'm sick? Are you going to protect me, Father, from the fears that I have? Are you going to elevate me and give me peace? Are you going to do that? Because he says he will do that. Well, if you believed him for salvation, well, then you can take everything else to the bank. It's absolutely true. That's what he will say. I want you also to, to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 which speaks to this issue as well. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power for us who believe. There is no event, no circumstance that God does not have the power to intervene on your life. I want you to understand that. And, and we have to understand that. And the prayer is here is that the eyes of your heart may be opened. Your little faith may blossom into greater faith. And the only way that's going to happen is as you reflect on the promises of God in every possible way. And God wants us to live like this. Now, Jesus has addressed this very issue multiple times uh, with his disciples, most famously in Luke chapter 8, verses 23 to 25. And you know this passage. This is where Jesus put the disciples in a boat. The boat goes out in the Sea of Galilee. And now in the Sea of Galilee, a great storm arises. And let's see what happens there. In verse 23, as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all 
was calm. Where is your faith? He said to the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. And yes, that's the answer. Who is this? He is God. He obeys. He's co he covers nature. The wind and the waves obey him. Nature, obey him. All the circumstances of this life obeys him. Demons, obey him. There is no height nor depth that does not obey the Son of God. And he is promised to be with you every step of your, way, your life until you move from this world to the end. Listen, I want you to consider and reflect again on Romans 8.28, the verse I told you should be on all your refrigerators. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose in all things, not just good things, but in bad things, in every essence of your life, whatever it is, he is going to take those things and he's going to make it good for you. You know, that's why Joseph in the Old Testament could look at his brothers <clears throat> who had sold him into slavery 16 years before, sold him into slavery and cut him off from his family. And now Joseph had risen to the, being the prime minister of Egypt. And he could look at his brothers and he could say to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what God does, you see. He takes evil and he turns it into good. So if God is able to do that, how much more is he going to do that in every aspect of your life to surround you with peace and to protect you in every possible way. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing at all. And so, as I bring this message to a close, I want you to focus on the words of Romans 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him, through him who loved us, for I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And the church said, Amen. that's the message, folks. That's the lesson. That's the essence of what it's about. Grow your faith. Increase your faith. Walk with him. Pray with him. Let him be with you because nothing, no power, no principality, no demon will ever be able to separate you from him. And don't worry. Let's bow our heads. Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word 
I thank you for this message. Father, you know that we needed to hear this. You know what we're going through. We're weak, Lord. We're surrounded by these temptations, but you've just spoken to us in a powerful way, telling us that you walk with us, that nothing can separate us from you, that we are your children. You are our father, and you lift us up, and you want us to reflect about the birds and the flowers, because as we do that, as we reflect on that, we understand what you have done for us, what the promise is. You gave us Jesus. You put your son on the cross. You bankrupted heaven. And now, Lord, we want to just, we don't want to just camp out on day one. We want to camp out on day two and the rest of our life as we accept all of the abundant promises that you have given us. We put all these things, Father, as you protect our church and lift our people up. We put it all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen, church. Amen.